you know, there's a lot of prior research suggesting that um, prior kind of ideological or cultural influences really tend to determine, you know, be a big determinant in how people receive information about climate science and climate change and how they respond to that information. And there's some studies that suggest that this, you know, that middle schoolers are less susceptible to that because their identities and their, you know, ideologies are still developing. They're still figuring out who they are. But in high school, you know, that's a little bit more, um, you know, their identities and ideologies are a little bit more solidified. So one of our hypotheses were is that we would see, you know, what this, um, you know, construct, this kind of psychological construct called world worldview, we would see that worldview, students' pre-existing worldviews would influence how they respond to the climate science information they received. Um, and that would happen primarily in high school. You're listening to Further Together, the ORAU podcast. Join Michael Holtz and his guests for conversations about all things ORAU. They'll talk about ORAU storied history, our impact on an ever-changing world, our innovative scientific and technical solutions for our customers, and our commitment to the communities where we do business. Welcome to Further Together, the ORAU podcast. Welcome to Further Together, the ORAU podcast. As ever, it's me, Michael Holtz, your host from the Communications and Marketing Department at ORAU. And today, we're talking about one of my favorite projects, um, ODRD funding, ORAU-directed research and development funding programs, research projects, and I have two experts who are working on a project together. And I'm really excited to dive in and learn more about the work that they're doing. So I wanna bring to the floor, Chris Nelson, who is an education project manager at ORU, and Kristen Hurst, who is assistant professor of sustainability in the School of Earth Systems and Sustainability at Southern Illinois University. Chris and Kristen, welcome to Further Together. Thank you, Thank Michael. You. Happy Good to, to be, be here. here. Glad to have you. So, <laughs> Chris, I'll start with you. Um, just for background, tell me a little bit about who you are. Um, so, I am a former educator. Uh, prior to coming to ORAU in uh, 2019, I had spent almost a decade in public education. And uh, prior to coming here, I had served as a teacher and as a principal. Uh, I started off at ORAU in the K-12 group, uh, and that kind of led to us engaging in our ODRD project with uh, Southern Illinois University and Kristen. Awesome. And Kristen, tell me a little bit about you. Yeah, so I'm, a, um, as you mentioned, an assistant professor here at Southern Illinois University, um, starting my third year this semester here. Um, I teach classes in, you know, very broadly in environmental studies and environmental behavior change. So my research, uh, my primary research interests and expertise are in environmental behavior change. So specifically, um, I'm interested in leveraging psychological insights to try to figure out how we can communicate effectively about environmental issues and kind of design be uh, behavioral interventions to promote more pro-environmental behavior and push us in a more sustainable direction. Awesome. 
So the two of you came together to do an ODRD research project. Um, either of you, will you explain what your basically what your project is about? Whoever um, wants to, whoever wants to start. I'll start, um, and then if I leave out anything, I'll let Kristen add on to it. Um, so this project, in a nutshell, is looking at when the most effective time to teach climate change science to students would be, whether it's in high school or middle school, with the idea being that students in high school already have formed some sort of beliefs about climate change, whether that's through uh, cultural influences, influences inside their home. They already have their beliefs so that they would not be as receptive to forming their own beliefs or having their own independent knowledge base of climate science as opposed to middle school. Um, we wanted to examine and see if that hypothesis was true and see when the optimal time would be to introduce climate change science into school curriculum as a whole. Kristen, go ahead. Yeah, and I'll just add to that too. So thinking about, there's a lot of, um, you know, as, as uh, Chris was kind of um, indicating, you know, there's a lot of prior research suggesting that um, prior kind of ideological or cultural influences really um, uh, tend to determine, you know, be a big determinant in how people receive information about climate science and climate change and how they respond to that information. And there's some studies that suggest that this, you know, that middle schoolers are less susceptible to that because their identities and their, you know, ideologies are still developing. They're still figuring out who they are. But in high school, you know, that's a little bit more, um, you know, their identities and ideologies are a little bit more solidified. So our, uh, you know, adding on to what Chris said, one of our hypotheses were is that we would see, you know, what this, um, you know, construct, this kind of psychological construct called world worldview, we would see that worldview, students' pre-existing worldviews would influence how they respond to the climate science information they received. Um, and that would happen primarily in high school. But we also thought that drawing on this really large body of literature in climate change communication and education, that we could apply some of those insights to design a climate science module to kind of mitigate some of that. And specifically ways to do that, you know, a lot of the prior research suggests, you know, it's really effective to make climate science relevant to people. So talk about local impacts instead of like faraway places. It's also can be effective several, you know, the body of literature is, is suggesting overall to, to kind of align how you talk about, present information, align that with people's um, values, right? Pre-existing values, um, and worldviews. And another really key insight that I think really inspired the project for me or inspired, you know, this idea that we've developed together as a team was something that um, the well-known climate scientist Catherine Hayhoe wrote about in um, a, you know, a popular book that she wrote about climate change and how are we going to address it called Saving Us that was published in, in 2021, I believe. And one of her key insights, at least what I took from reading that book, is, is saying, you know, 
don't tell people, it's not effective to tell people that they should care about change. Rather, ask them, what do they care about? And then tell them how climate change is affecting those things, right? So you're not, you're kind of make, helping people make those connections about, you know, it's not the, you know, maybe not the, the temperature, actually the one degree rise in temperature that you necessarily care about or the concentration of carbon dioxide in the atmosphere. Like, what does that mean for me? You know, why do I care about this? But actually making those connections about actually, you know, these, this um, affects things you care about, the food, your favorite foods that you eat, the sports that you like to play, the recreational activities. You know, if you like to go skiing in the winter, or go to the beach on, in the summer, like climate change is impacting all of those things, your health, your family's health, like making, depending on what they care about, you know, helping people kind of make those connections. And so that was the, so what we did in the project is we had sort of a standardized, you know, online module to teach students, you know, to help deliver climate science content to, to students that covered, you know, the basic science, um, as well as impacts and a little bit of content on solutions. And we did that in a very standardized, very broad, generalized way. And, um, and then we also made another module where we used kind of the, this might be getting in the weeds a little bit, but the Qualtrics, we, these were, um, we incorporated these modules into Qualtrics survey software and we were able to um, use the, the uh, display logic to have students answer questions about what do I like? What do I care about? What do I like to do? What foods do I like to eat? What, you know, a few questions about their values and kind of individualize the content that they received based on those questions. So the idea is that the impact, you know, when we talked about, oh, these are the, you know, specific impacts of climate change, then it was tailored to where they live, the region of the United States where they live, you know, the recreational activities that they engaged in, the types of foods that they like to eat. So it was very individualized in that way. And as well as, you know, some values framing uh, that we incorporated too when we talked about solutions. And the idea was that, you know, maybe kind of individualizing the how people receive and learn about climate science in that way can help mitigate some of the influence of those pre-existing worldviews. And that's what we wanted to test. And it sounds like, um, and what I find fascinating about this is that it's more about how climate change is impacting what students enjoy, but, you know, how it, how it affects their life as opposed to, you should be doing this because, but it's, yeah. you know, here's where the impact is. And, and you're, you, you're probably seeing this in some way, shape or form based on the things that you like, the food that you like to eat, the things that you like to do, right? I mean, so it, it reframes and then comes in and says, here's what we can do about this. Yes. Right? Exactly. I mean, I mean, I, I I think back to whenever I was in the classroom and teaching and a lot of the concepts that are being taught to students tend to not interest them, not engage them on a deeper level unless it's something they can connect to, unless it's something that they can see affects them either directly or somewhat indirectly. So in designing 
the modules that we used this way and connecting it to the student and allowing the student to see the personal connections with them made us think that we would see a greater influence of this for the students that had actually received the module that actually made those personal connections. So in the process of your um, research and your project, where, where are things today? Um, have you created the module? Have you, has it been delivered and tested or are you still in that process? Um, we have completed what we are calling our pilot. Um, okay. We went through the entire project cycle beginning last October. We designed both the standard and individualized module. We recruited all of the participants. We implemented the module and we have gone through and analyzed the results from that implementation. Um, we did encounter some hiccups and speed bumps along the way that were somewhat out of our control and did not have the sample size that we had hoped for, um, which we think had a ripple effect with the results that we, we received because they weren't exactly what we expected or hoped for. Um, but with this being such a small pilot and having a smaller sample size, I do think that it does give plenty of avenues for expanding further. Um, and I think, I think Kristen can speak more to some of the unexpected results or some of the things that were shown to be the case that um, were affected by some of the other things that were out of our control. Yeah, yeah, I can add on to that. So uh, yeah, exactly what, what Chris said is that unfortunately, the biggest thing is that because we didn't get the sample that we were expecting or hoping for, which which in part was just because we were trying to do this, you know, we were very limited by by time. Um, right. That's how things go. Right. Um, you know, that's right. you have, get a year for this whole project, right? Yeah, so, that's right. Yeah. yeah. So there's all every you know we're always working under you know constraints of some type and and in our case it was really the timeline um and so we recruited you know a couple 200 about 200 participants uh usable responses that um to our survey the survey that students filled out after um viewing one or one of the two modules and um which was really the sample is just really not large enough uh, to give us enough experimental power to detect, you know, to test the interaction effects mm -hmm. that we wanted to detect, right? Which is like, does the impact of the individualized versus uniform module depend on age and worldview and that kind of thing? So the, you know, the biggest, you know, thing I want to drive home is that we can't really say anything really conclusive. We don't really know, you know, like we're, we're seeing some interesting effects, but we don't know whether or not they'll hold, whether or not they'll replicate. And so I think that's important to emphasize because, you know, we're not this, like Chris said, this is a pilot study. We're using this as a really great jumping off point to not only improve our materials, our, you know, our module and, um, and measures that we used in the survey, but also to try to go out um, and 
um, test, you know, retest the intervention on a much larger sample, more time, um, using a couple of other strategies to try to really get um, as much participation in schools as we can in order to really see like, okay, let's, let's see um, whether or not some of these effects are replicating or if we're seeing um, other effects that we didn't see in this, in this first pilot. But in any case, so that's one kind of key point. The other, but, you know, uh, just to mention some of the things we, we did see um, and that we're kind of, we're wanting to follow up on to see is this, you know, will this replicate, will this hold? Um, we did see that overall for regardless of the module that students received and regard and regardless of their age, if they were in middle school or high school, we did see an increase in what, what we were terming conceptual fluency, which is just a fancy way of saying climate science knowledge. Um, that's good. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, so we were pleased with that. Uh, the interaction effects were, um, were very mixed, but the key thing I'll point to now is that we saw a bit of a backfire effect for the uh, individualized model among older students, so older high school students, um, whereby we saw that worldview did in fact influence their conceptual fluence, uh, their conceptual fluency measure. But you know, worldview didn't impact. We didn't see that for any of the other the the uniform module or the younger students. Just the students that were older that received the, the individualized module. And that was actually the opposite of what we were expecting to see. Yeah. And so that that points to a touch of a, you know, potential uh, backfire effect where it's like, well, maybe we like made this too personal and, <laughs> and there was some reaction. <laughs> and that's, you know, and to me, that's like really important to know because all of this, you know, all of this, um, uh, literature is pointing, you know, you know, a lot of really great research is pointing to this importance of, you know, making things relevant. We've got to like, you know, reach people where they're at, like to tell them why this is like important to them and not just this abstract faraway problem. And I do still think that's important. And again, we don't know if this effect will hold. We're just, you know, we're in the early stages, but it's also, you know, it's, it's not certainly not out of the realm of possibility that, that, you know, that there will be, you know, a reactance effect to that, that we're like, okay, I'm just gonna, you know, shut this off. It's too close, <laughs> I don't wanna hear about it. And, and you know, there is, there's plenty of research that kind of points to some backfire effects and, um, you know, depending on, with certain styles of communication and that sort of thing. So that's not, um, certainly not out of the realm of possibility. So that's something we wanna really follow up on and, and see. Um, and see how that pans out with the larger sample in our next um, iteration. And so that's actually where I was going to go next. And so what happens next sounds like bigger sample, more, hopefully more students can, can um, participate. So you can see whether, first of all, um, having a better, a larger sample size to measure from, but then also um, to see if that backfire effect holds, um, and ultimately, if your hypothesis is is correct, right? So, um, so what does happen next? Where do you go from here? Yeah, so we're working on um, a, a grant to apply for funding. Uh, we have a you know a list of um, of sponsors that we're um, you know 
planning to submit proposals to in the next year. And so that's the next step. And with the idea, again, that we really want to take what we learned from this pilot to really clean up, you know, I, one thing I, I do think that we'll, um, you know, we'll, we will rework the, the, you know, intervention or, you know, what we're calling the climate uh, change science modules to be, I think, a little bit cleaner. I think that we maybe tried to put too much in there. Um, so maybe whatever, you know, like I said, we did some values framing. We were like trying to talk about impacts in terms of food and sports and, um, you yeah, know. I, I think maybe part of it is like we, we were we had this one year timeline. So we wanted to put as much into it as sure. we could being on such a compressed timeline and with the future grants, we'll be able to extend the timeline under which will the work will be able to be done. So maybe there won't be so much cramming or uh, so much information uh, that might muddy the waters a little bit uh, since we will have an extended timeline to continue this and not be compressed to doing it all in one year, which also works better for the school year calendar as well and being able to do this long term in the future uh, that works with the school calendar and testing and all of the school events that have to be worked around. Amazing. It just, it sounds like, hey, the project is fascinating. There's so much to unpack in all of that and, and really so much to do going forward. Um, is there anything we haven't talked about that you want to make sure we cover? Kristen? No. Awesome. No. So I think next steps good. are apply, <laughs> apply for more funding to keep the project going, um, maybe clean up the, the modules a little bit, do a little bit less um, from a from a module perspective and hopefully um, get that bigger sample size so you can better measure. And, yeah. you know, I, I wanna make clear for the folks who are listening who maybe don't, you know, aren't fluent in kind of the scientific process, like this happens, right? I mean, this, this is not, um, I don't want to use the word failure per se, but it's, it's a, this is just part of the process, right? When you have a compressed timeline, you don't always get the sample size that you're looking for. So you have to come back at it another way and try again so that you can get to that sample size. So this is normal. This is, it's, this is the it's scientific, scientific method, method at work. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> We were thinking the same thing, Michael. This is the scientific method at work. Like you have a problem, you propose a hypothesis, you investigate, you revise your hypothesis, you revise your investigation, and you keep going through it until you're able to have conclusive results. Right. And, you know, I think that speaks to, um, you know, a bit to the sort of science skepticism thing, you know, that tends to be out there. Like, you're not just answering the question the way you want the question answered, right? Because you've got to have the data to back it up. And if you don't have enough data, you can't, in this case, conclusively answer the question either way. So you've got to come back at it and try again. So exactly. um, I wish you guys the best of luck in the next iteration of your project. It sounds amazing. Um, I kind of want to 
take the module myself and just see what it looks like, to be honest. Um, because, I, you know, I, I know from my own personal life, you know, um, things that I love to do and places I love to go are impacted by climate change. You can see the that's, difference in places that's that you travel. My wife to. And I, yeah, that, that's why my wife and I travel in the fall. We don't travel during the summer because it's too hot. It has it's gotten too hot. Too hot. Um, so we travel when we know the climate's going to be better. Right, right, absolutely. Well, Chris Nelson and Kristen Hurst, thank you so much for your time today and for talking about your great research project. I look forward to maybe in a year or so um, coming back and talking about the next iteration of your project and what you've learned. Um, you know, when you get, I'm going to say, I'm going to put it in the universe when you get additional funding for your project. Because um, I would love to see that happen. So thank you thank both you. so much. Yeah, thank you. This was thank fun. you. Thank you for listening to Further Together, the ORAU podcast. To learn more about any of the topics discussed by our experts, visit www.orau.org. You can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn at ORAU and on Instagram at O-R-A-U Together. If you like Further Together, the O-R-A-U podcast, we would appreciate you giving us a review on your favorite podcast platform. Your reviews will help more people find the podcast. <laughs>